At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for our journey to begin. You walk through our forests, yet you remain a mystery. What are you? Why do you hide? In the land we call wilderness, there lives a creature that has become one with legend. At the moment, it's about to have an unpleasant encounter with the self-styled masters of the wilderness, man. Sasquatch. And I stood and watched, and uh, from around behind a big tree, there was a black deal looking at me, and it had a peaked, pointed head. I swung my arm in a big arc, and... I said, uh, I yelled out, Hi, Sasquatch, come on down. Bigfoot is Gigantopithecus and is still here. Here we go. And you were looking live? Are we live? We should be live. Oh, hey, hey. Welcome, America. My name is Clinton. From the podcast OK Talk, my buddy right over there, Matthew uh, Stoker, is here. But really, the main reason we're here is I want to introduce two people to each other because I, I don't think they remember each other. One of them is Scott Harriet, who I'm looking at his well bourboned face on the no, wall. Hello, I, sir. I'm not a big drinker. I am. I am full of heroin <laughs> in, in me right now. But no. <clears throat> yes. Hi. Uh, how are you, man? I'm, I'm very well. I want to introduce you to someone that we have on the phone. Uh, you may have heard of him because he's kind of a big deal. I think he at one point was ranked number 22 on the list of 100 most important Bigfooteries. <laughs> His name is Brian Brown. Scott, meet Brian. Hey, hey Brian. Hey. How are you? Hey, Scott. Scott. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did I, I know that voice. We used to do a show together. This is horseshit. <laughs> have you guys, uh, how often do you guys talk? Well, we haven't Never. talked in a while, but you know, Instagram, Facebook, yeah, Facebook, Grinder, you know, Grinder, sliding in DMs. It, it's been three plus years since the last episode of the Bigfoot Show. It's hard to believe. Has anything changed? Uh, what, as far as doing another one? No, no, no. Has anything changed in the world of Bigfoot? Well, you know, literally, while you guys were were. Uh, sorting out the technical issues there. Brian was filling me in on the whole, uh, you know, uh, tracking telemetry thing that was going down in Oklahoma, which is pretty fascinating. And I'm and I'm now assuming it's 
part of what we're going to talk about on the show. So that was really cool. That was like, as he was telling me about it, I was thinking that is a great, and I'll let obviously Brian get into the details of it, but it's really, it's like one of those things you think you've been involved with this for 20 years. And you go, man, why come somebody didn't think of that idea before. Right, right. That's right. A trained midget that goes up the rectum of a Sasquatch and just basically wow. makes home there. It's a bold plan. <laughs> it's not a trained midget. You, it was a midget you put, you put him like in a, a latex suit, you lube him up, and away he goes. <laughs> you just have to find a propulsion device to get him there. <laughs> or just okay. disguise him as a mushroom and hopefully, hopefully he'll sit on him. Hope no, <laughs> Brian, what's the latest from Area X, brother? Uh, the latest is we're uh, gearing up for this summer's. Um, you know, operation, and uh, uh, we're, we're in a we're down there in the valley again this year, and uh, really, so the latest is we're just getting ready for for the coming year. It's it's um, obviously still um, it's just now spring, not where I live. It's there's snow on the ground, but down there, um, it's spring, and uh, we're we're probably uh, I don't know about a month and a half out from from actually getting in the valley and doing our thing. Uh, I I got the inside scoop when you guys were talking about this off the air, but um, I know the 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 biggest scuttlebutt from there was the the radio tag that you guys deployed. I think we had some yeah. folks on talking about it. I know you guys did a show about it. What's the uh, yeah. what came of that? Well, uh, we have uh, a new batch of radio tags. We um, are uh, trying to deploy them the same way we deployed them last time by by determining where we believe. Um, it's likely that apes are going to be moving around and, and putting tags in those areas. Uh, I know last year we, we had, um, I believe it's, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact number, but I want to say it's like eight or nine tags deployed. Um, and then we, we put them out. And, and as we, we also had a number of string traps. So, of course, the tags themselves are deployed using string traps. So we had other string traps out. And I can tell you that, that a couple of those string traps were, were, were pulled, were triggered, um, and again, these are these are string traps put again across trails um, at a height above even our head, so above six feet. And uh, a couple of them got pulled uh, a couple of times. So we we redeployed radio tags trying to to get in these areas. And you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. Um, and we were unsuccessful in trying to deploy another radio tag uh, last year, but we'll be trying again this year, and uh, we'll see what happens. That's amazing. It's really uh, exciting and fascinating just how you guys decided which type of glue to use to, uh, you yeah. know, get that thing to stick to something. It's pretty amazing. I, I got a yeah, question. That was Mark I, was, uh, and I just thought of he's, he's asking Brian a, about this because Brian was telling me it's, it's his rat trap glue. And uh, how does the rat trap glue stay moist enough? I mean, is it just its composition and stuff that it can stay dangling? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, wow. the, the rat trap glue itself is, it stays, it never dries up. So it stays wow. super, I mean, the, the way it works is a rat like walks onto this trap and is stuck and basically just dies, right? You can just pick it up and throw them away. Um, wow. It's really gruesome if you're the rat. But this yeah. glue is just ridiculously sticky and super stringy, and it doesn't really dry up. So it, it it's perfect for what we were looking for. And but it's totally non-toxic, you know, especially to an animal that high, that tall. It's not gonna it's not gonna be a problem for a, a huge animal. 
Um, so yeah, it's 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 really really effective for what we're trying to do with it. And can they get a buzz off of it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe mm. I don't know if they chew on it long enough. So Scott, in terms of the Bigfoot world, the last thing kind of squatchery that you did was the a squatch ellipse now hiking yes. the Bigfoot trail. Yeah, I did that last, uh, oh God, it was like uh, two years ago, actually. <clears throat> there's, um, there's been a new trail, actually kind of a system of old trails that um, a gentleman whose name is evading me. God, I'm glad I did the research before. Datus this, Perry. Day, his name is Datus Perry. No, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> up in the northwest corner of California, which I have a just a love for, because that's where that where I think in all strong probability I came within about 40 feet of not one, but two of these things about kind of, what is it? 26 years ago now. Well, and I uh, so I wanted to do a, about it. because I've done films about <laughs> long distance trails and Bigfoot, it was a great way to combine the two topics. So um, it's about 300 and I think it's 360 miles long. It was awesome. It was hard. It's hell because it's just a lot of this old trail, some very squatchy terrain. And uh, we actually did have something which I don't think is directly squatchy related or that an actual Sasquatch. But I don't know if Brian has seen the film or if you've seen it, but this actually happened. We're near the town of Hayuchi, which has this like strong history of Bigfoot sightings up there. And so we're going, we're seeing these beautiful redwoods that one of my friends knew the, the special location. These are off trail, these gigantic things. And so we're off this trail, the established trail by at least a hundred yards in really thick, ferny terrain. Right. So I just thought for fun, I would throw out some type of squatchy yell. So I just kind of went, and I kid you not within about 10 seconds, we heard three loud wood on wood knocks. Really? Wow. Yes. And the reason I did it, because I heard voices. I heard vo that somebody was on the trail and said, for fun, we got to just do that. So I think the odds that an actual Bigfoot was there doing wood knocking uh, was relatively low. But what it told me, it, it just, what, it, what the situation informed me of what I think happened is that how much the, the, the area of Sasquatchery of Bigfoot hunting has permeated society that there was probably some guy out there who'd watched finding Bigfoot or had seen things and knew about wood knocking. And so did that. I know it wasn't anybody part of it. We had about six of us. It wasn't, we didn't hoax this. It wasn't a joke, but clearly, and it's in the film. We were, we, I, I said, let's just do it for fun. I do that. And then boom, boom, boom. And okay, then we okay, go okay, try okay, looking okay, and we okay. never found the source. We actually never ran into the people, but there were definitely people in the area from which the knocks had come from. So who knows? What were you going to say, Brian? So how do you know that there were people in the area? Well, cause we heard them. We could hear them. We were about a hundred yards off the established trail through high, which is if you've never been go, it's super cool up there. And, and it is very, very squatchy in there. So we, the yeah. reason I did the, 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 one of those is because I heard those voices. So I thought just in the spirit of fun, I'll do right. that. And again, within 10 seconds, boom, boom, boom. And I just thought, 
I would I would be more inclined to think that it could have been a Sasquatch if I had not heard voices to begin with in that same general area. I just so, I think I think it was to someone who knew about <laughs> Bigfoot stuff and just was probably thought, oh, there's some some Bigfooters because I mean I don't pretend that somebody was gonna actually believe that I was you know, I was a Sasquatch who I was making who was making this noise. But it was it was really kind of trippy. Was, and uh, it's in the film, available at squatchfilms.com. Was it a pretty busy trail, or was it busy uh, uh, when you were going no, across it? No, not super busy, but uh, just busy enough. You know, I mean, it was just, again, we were off it. We had found these gigantic redwoods, and then I could hear the faintness. I mean, again, it, because it's so dense in there, um, the the sound was muffled, but it was clearly a couple of people, you could hear them talking in the direction mm. from which we came where the trail was. So I just thought, let's just have fun. So I don't rule out. Did you hear what they were saying? It could have been a Bigfoot, but uh, I don't think he can I hear what you were saying, Bob Brian. He can't, yeah, he can't hear me when he's talking. Yeah, what's the deal with that, Scott? Why, why is it when you talk, you can't hear anything else? I don't think anybody else can, can hear me when I talk. Oh, yeah, I don't... Um, <laughs> Just it's probably generally. we i yeah I'll, I'll have to i'll pull it's, back the curtain a bit we have like a million pieces of technology clashing right now brian <laughs> is, is uh in via google voice call scott's ah. in via skype they're both on the same computer going through the same pot so if it sounds weird or if there's some sort of weird echo or anything on your guys end, that's that's what it is but uh okay. terrible i terrible. know I, I did the best i could it's funny you mentioned how um the Sasquatch lore or, you know, finding Bigfoot and all that has permeated uh, culture because I was having a conversation with a coworker today because um, I was going to stay here and, and record the show. And I mentioned that we were, you know, we're going to be talking about Bigfoot. And he was saying, oh, yeah, what do you think about him? And it was very much he was still <laughs> in the mindset of yeah. Bigfoot <laughs> is a singular entity that, ex- you know, I don't know, teleports around or something. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know if what I think about him. I, w- w- do I think that there could be some sort of undiscovered species? Maybe. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's you know, it has and it hasn't. There are still people out there who, when you say Bigfoot, they think Harry and the Hendersons, there's one of them that exists and that's he's all there is. Yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah, got a van teacher. and he drives up and down the coast and. <laughs> You know, he'd like to stick around, but he's got a hunter to scare in Oregon. Yeah, of course. Well, this is this is uh, the first time I had a conversation with this about with uh, my sister-in-law. She asked me, like, well, how could that one thing <laughs> be in all those places? And I'm like, well, okay, well, let's just back up a little bit. He is also <laughs> Santa Claus, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's a he's a magical elf. Why do you think you never see him on Christmas? He has the help of midgets, clearly. Again, midgets will be brought up. So I was kind of looking at the timeline from the last time you guys did an episode and to now and kind of trying to think of what important or random stuff had happened in between when y'all ended. It's almost as if, you know, Melba died and so there was not that to look forward to anymore. And then Wait, Melba died? died? Did I miss something? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> she has she to be my friend on Facebook like twice a day. And, and I, she sees Daddis Perry and she's like, that guy saw Bigfoot 19 times, including a female one that was wearing a cape that was made out of cow skin and offering to have sex with him. So he'd probably like to be my friend. Yeah, he knows what's up. 
Maybe he can help <laughs> me kind with of guy. my headshots. <laughs> Her headshots are special. But it seemed it almost seemed like the the news of Bigfoot stopped around the time that you guys did. I don't know if that's art imitating life or if you were creating this miasma of insanity to <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I don't know if why that is, but so I was well, kind of I was kind of trying to look up some things that had happened. You can comment on that and then I've got a few exciting events that have occurred in the last three plus years that I think your listeners would like to hear from about. Well, uh, I, I think the Bigfoot show is as, as a collective, we were clearly giants among the giants. We were just so wide. I mean, we had four, five people constantly listening to it. No, we had a good, uh, you know, and again, credit Brian was, this was his baby. You know, he began it. He was kind enough to ask me to be part of it. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a great show. It was getting a little, because maybe we were coming, coming into a Bigfoot recession, Brian and I were talking about that before the show, that there's, you know, with any topic, there's kind of ebbs, ebbs and flows. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think for those who are like serious about it, I, I still am very interested in it. And Brian obviously still involved in active research, but uh, yeah, I think maybe that, you know, until, I don't know, till, uh, till a bone or part of a body or some DNA evidence comes in, uh, I think it's actually the golden state killer. That's a bad <laughs> joke right there. It made no sense. I, I don't, I think that's, go ahead. What Brian. you're talking about is one of, one of the reasons why the show kind of wound down is that, um, the, the things that we could comment on they were just becoming fewer and farther between for whatever reason. And, uh, and then it just felt like we were being sort of repetitive in the things that we were talking yeah. about. And, and, uh, that's, that was, you know, I, I often think that the, the, the thing I miss about the Bigfoot show is just hanging out and talking with my friends about stuff that is interesting to me. So, um, that's really the, the thing that I wish we could still do, but the, the, the topic of Bigfoot itself just doesn't provide enough. Right. Um, I think a lot of show going all by itself. A lot of times the stuff that you guys would do that I really enjoyed and I felt kind of caught me up to uh, speed, as it were, was listening to you guys talk about the historical things, the books, Scott's being really well read and uh, knowing a lot of historical encounters and stories and of course, Brian, I, I told Brian this, Scott. I said, Brian, how does it feel to be the Leonard Nimoy to a whole generation of people who are into Bigfoot? Because you basically were that voice for people. Uh, and that's not a joke in a lot of ways. I think that you you really were that. You're for all the way from the BIP cast through the Bigfoot show. All that stuff is just it's great. And listening to you guys and Paul, it, I mean, y'all are all just fantastic. I hope both of those guys are doing well. Um, I don't well, know. Well, I, I don't, Sam, you know, I don't, Sam you guys, is doing well. Is Paul okay? Yeah, yeah. you know, Paul, you know, Paul passed away. Did you, did you guys? I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, how long has it been, Brian? Year, year and a half. Oh, it's been about a, yeah, a little over a year, I think. Did that? So that so that happened right after you were on with me, last, Brian. 
Pro- probably, you know, I asked, and Paul I asked was about sick it. for a long time. He was sick even when we were doing the show, though. Yep. It never really was something that we talked about on the show, but his health had been failing for a long time. And, and, um, after the show stopped, um, it wasn't, it wasn't immediately. I mean, it wasn't like these two things were connected, but, uh, a little while after the show stopped, his, his health, uh, started to decline even, even further. And then yeah, unfortunately he, he passed away. And, um, so, uh, that's obviously very sad and, and, it's funny because again, the way that I interact with these guys primarily is through Facebook and every day Facebook tells you, you know, here's what happened on this day. And there are a lot of things that Paul and I talked about. So I kind of see Paul every single day on Facebook, Yeah, it's weird. which is kind of weird still. Um, but that's just the, the world we live in now, you know? Well, I definitely want to apologize for all the, to all the Paul Vela fans out there. I obviously, it wouldn't be a Bigfoot, type show without sticking my big foot in my mouth <laughs> and not yeah. knowing that someone had passed away but then again that's why i'm here um i'm sure i'm sure paul would be having a good laugh at that well <laughs> yeah well, uh that, but moment of silence for paul villa and <clears throat> paul in dallas and um so anyway well I, again i'm glad to hear that sam's doing well you guys were like i said Brought, I thought that the historical stuff you did, as well as just the day-to-day bullshit that y'all would talk about, I think everybody yeah. kind of got tired of, uh, it's not your fault that Melba was insane or whatever <laughs> you know what? it was that she I was, was doing. Brian, Brian I was would get the, apoplectic the... about Melba. I would always like, remember, I mean, I was always, because Brian is is very even-keeled a lot. I mean, he's passionate about a lot of things, politics, I mean, he's smart. And it always like, and I, I would say I'm kind of in, I mean, not that I'm smart, but I get passionate about stuff. And, but for some reason, it was like Melba to me was just so obviously kooky. I didn't, I didn't worry about it. Uh, you know, that, I, that people, you know, following her, we're, we're going to vote for Trump. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, although I'm, st- I get apoplectic about Trump every day. Anyway. Um, yeah, but it was always kind of funny to me. Brian would just like, God, he would just, and he'd bring Melba either on, either during the show or on the webpage on Facebook, and it was just a full out attack. But uh, wh- where is she now? Yeah. I don't is she. I don't see. I think she's faded because it's just the fact that she's she's just she's you know she she's, she was missing something. There. Right. I don't know what exactly. I think she was. I think she was basically a con man. Yeah. If you go back and listen to the earlier shows, we we were really excited about the idea that someone who knew what they were doing was going to be, you know, conducting a, a DNA study, and and we gave her, um, you know, we talked about her several times before everyone figured out she was a complete clown, and we gave her all kinds of, uh, you know, sort of room, and and we were excited about it, and then it turns out she was crazy. Um, or con man, or a little bit of both. Yeah, that's and, what I think. Um, I think it's a little. Of both. Yeah, then then it was too much. <laughs> I, could, I, I had lost my patience. At you that did, point. man. It was. I mean, it was like. Nothing. I mean, the points you were making, I think, were all valid. It was just. Yeah, I just, I guess, like, you know, just at, at some point, you're like, you just stop. And I think we kind of did. Then we stopped giving even attention to her because it was just. Yeah. Well, you know, we were. 
there were shows where we said we we had to not talk about her because <laughs> it would, you would go down a rat hole of complaining about her again for the 500th time. She did look like she deserved to be in the Napoleon Dynamite film. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And if, you know, I wish we could have, you know, it could have remained even keeled like our discussions on the Patterson film. Right. And, obviously. Well, no kill. That would have been if they could have I'm maintained that level bring that up. of civilian. <laughs> you know, you see, see, this is, you know, early on, you guys, you actually had a producer a time or two, Brian. Right. You did. Very early no, on. No, no, no. Yeah, always there was some kid that worked on the show with you. First episode. Oh, Gosh, yeah. What was that guy's name? I I, I don't. I, Holy no. smokes! This, this is like this is like Eric, you're on kind of your talk show, and you're asking like Ringo Starr, who carried his drums in 1963. I have wow. I he compared know. himself to a Beatle, Scott. Harry, did you hear that? <laughs> Brian said, "I'm a Beatle." Well, I'm not a very good one. I mean, I said Ringo Starr. So. Fair Touché. enough. Fair Touché. enough. Uh, no, I do remember that guy. Yeah, he was. He helped. Uh, to, to sort of pull us all together but from a technical standpoint it was always me but yeah he was you're right man i'd forgotten all about that guy i wonder where he is so like a good podcast well radio producer maybe not a podcast producer would would try to come up with things to steer you guys to talk about and in all of the things that there are to talk about in bigfoot these days the thing that both cracks me up, fascinates me, and mesmerizes me. And it's something that I wasn't exactly aware of whenever the show was occurring, mm. is the concept that Bigfoot rapes cows. <laughs> See, that, that's exactly why we don't do the show anymore. <laughs> this, is a this is hot topic. Example. It got to the point where that was maybe the most interesting thing. <laughs> Wasn't um, that in a Lauren Coleman book, though? D dude, so there's. What is it in a Lauren Coleman book? <laughs> well, I, I actually have two topics. Not only the uh, Sasquatch sodomizing cows, or as we like to call it, ape rape, um, but yeah. the idea that about 10% of Sasquatch may be gay, which uh, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman recalled having once lightheartedly wondered aloud if 10% of the Bigfoot population matching the figures we have on Homo sapiens, might be gay. Days later, he was shocked to discover a slew of angry emails denouncing him for calling Bigfoot a homosexual. <laughs> uh, Why is that such a bad thing? All I got to say about the cow thing is that I really think it's time for the Me Too movement. Oh, good. No. No. <laughs> I, I, what I want to say about the cow, look, it's obvious. The cows are asking for it. Let's just be honest. Uh, standing there in a field. Exactly. Stupid cows. Big ass hit. high to a Sasquatch. Uh, mooing seductively. Let's let's like hit each other. It could be that the 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 Sasquatches are maybe they don't find each other, and if yeah. you're a young Sasquatch and you're there's a cow, the cow looks at you with those big brown eyes. I don't know, man. They're if docile. you look at the height ratio of an average human to like a sheep and then an average male Sasquatch to a cow, yeah. it really lines up. It's perfect. So does yeah. a cow push uh, back when you take it against the... I, I, I don't, I don't want to know the answer to that. <laughs> I, What's the... Uh, what do they call that? That ratio the, between the, the joints oh, and everything? What's that called? Uh, the... Uh, I think that's the wishful thinking that it's an actual Sasquatch <laughs> in the Patterson film. Hypothesis. Right. No, that's called the. Uh, right. Oh, God. 
what was that called? We just got to factor in the cows now to that whole thing, and, and you might be under something. <laughs> right, right. Damn it. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to drive what me crazy. Yeah, the whole inter, inter, in, intermember. I what that word is. The in, intermembral index, which they used. There it is. Some tried to say that it. So now, now we've got to do the intermembral index. Yeah, we're going index there. I'm just going there for a second. Because remember, John Green, John Green thought that that proved that um, Patty in the Patterson film, therefore, couldn't be a guy in a suit, which, yeah. of course, is yeah. completely funny. Shit. Funny thing is, it, it probably did, but that's okay. <laughs> no. And that's, well, wait a minute. You're right. That's why scientific journals today recognize that. Oh, that's right. They don't. Anyway. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. That's really all it is. If, if only the PG film could be, could be established as real, that would be. I want to welcome everyone to OK Talk and, and just tell you you're welcome that I finally got Brian and Scott arguing <laughs> over the PG film. Three years plus later, you're very happen. welcome. Don't you guys want to know what my current yeah. percentage of probability thinking that the Patterson film is probably hoaxes? Oh, oh it's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> I just figured we could, we could get a little bit further down the road before we I'm came sorry. around to it. I figured that would be yeah, how we would you eventually don't want to burn all the good stuff. Yeah, right. That's that's the thing you say for the closer. You don't, don't bring him out this early. Not the Yankees. Let's just keep him in the pen for a couple of innings. Um, no, I, I, the, the I do realize that there is a sexualization of Bigfoot, which creeps me out, and the fact that not yeah, I watched Lauren Coleman on a TV show, and he was really interested in how hairy Bigfoot's nipples were, and I thought that was strange and. In my in my film Squatching, available at squatchfilms.com, uh, he met, I I was at a conference in in 05 in Texas, and he he just talked about that. Yeah, it was Squatching that I saw that. That's that's where it that's where it. Yeah. Is. What is that like? Why why why? I mean, obviously anybody that's obsessed with with any sort of topic is going to take it in every direction possible. But why do people latch onto that so? Is the first so boob you saw, Harry? Latch on? Why did someone think, latch onto a nipple? Exactly. <laughs> why would they latch on? I mean, I, under, I understand completely why they latch onto a nipple. The I think um, it goes back well, to the same realm as the the, the, the the Bigfoot humping a cow. It's like, where else can we go imaginatively to uh, ponder Sasquatch? Yeah. So it's all it's it's just it's still the basic question everybody wants to know: do do they or don't they exist? And until that ever happens. Uh, it'll all be speculative to a degree. Let's go to a clip. In, in, in some, you know, I can't believe I'm saying these words, but in, in defense of, of Lauren, um, <laughs> and I don't know exactly what he was talking about when he brought up uh, Bigfoot nipples, but I, I could say that, that you there's something interesting there from a biological standpoint. You know, it might tell you something about the animal. It might... Um, you might try to look for analogs in, in other animals, other primate species. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't I have no clue what he was talking about when he talked about how hairy Bigfoot nipples were. Uh, but I also know that, that some people report that the hair on the chest is is uh, not as dense as it is in other parts of the body. So you should be able to see those sorts of, um, you know, physical attributes. Yeah. Mm. But I don't, I don't know what Lauren is talking about. He's just an old guy. An old uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I really think what he was, it was, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I'm old. I'm, I'm 85 years old. Okay. Names again, the dude, who am I, who's on the left that I'm looking at? Who's it on the left? Is that, is that me right here? Matt? Matt? Yeah. That's Matt. And then over to the, there is. That's Clint. <laughs> he has no idea who <laughs> I am. I actually looked down at the paper <laughs> to find that out. 
is I think because Coleman has been so prolific over the years, I don't know so much recently, but how many books he wrote, he's just looking for new, it's it's his shtick. I mean, I don't want to demean, because I, I actually think his book about the Yeti, Tom Slick and the Search for the Yeti is a great book. Yeah. It's, what, it's a really interesting book. Uh, but he's, you know, was always looking for new things. So he would be the ideal type of guy to be pondering about these questions of, it, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're going to keep putting out books, you got to write about something. And right. and again, it's, it's the, you know, if you you can't you can't you can only ponder the same five blobby pixels in a video for so long before you have to start to think outside the box a little bit, I guess. You also yeah. can make six figures a month if you write Bigfoot porn <laughs> rotica. Can you? What what are we doing? I know. I know. Well, I'm not as creative as you are sexually. All right, I'll get on that. Yeah, <laughs> I like to promote my I, I new think, book coming I, out. I think you're on to something. Snatch Squatch. <laughs> Snatch Squatch, yes. Oh, that's, that's great. That's a, really, that's, a, that's a vision that's going to stick with me. We need we need your rim shot, Ringo. <laughs> but um, it, it, you do have a good you do have a good point about Lauren, though. I mean, it, it, for him, this is his profession, right? This is his yeah. job. Um, so he has to keep putting out content, and at some point, all of the sort of low-hanging fruit or, I guess, you know, mainstream topics will be done and you'll be left trying to figure out how many of them are homosexuals and what their nipples look like. Right. And there's, at some point, you're just going to run out of stuff. Wow. Honey, this, ta- this steak I'm eating tastes like it's been violated. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to tenderize your meat, Scott. <laughs> What is that? Does it have a little little gaminess to it? Is that what it? And why am I talking this way? We live in Denver. You you guys may may get a little bit of an appreciation out of the fact that I was up in the uh, Olympic Peninsula with the uh, um, the Olympic Project guys, and mm. I was I was out there enjoying Jealous. myself around a fire with some good folks like Todd Hale, who we all know as being a crazy person on a motorcycle. Um, and and we're having a good time. And someone who is famous in the world of Squatchdom, they put their tent really close to the campfire. And uh, I think Scott does a really good imitation of this person's what this person is known for, and it sounds something like. Um, and so anyway, there was a tent really close to the fire, and uh, and that person's um, significant other. Um, what oh, was apparently the next morning quite early in being at the breakfast table while, of course, me and Todd and everyone else that was up all night was still sleeping, was heard saying to anyone who was within earshot was, I didn't get much sleep last night because all I could hear were people talking about Bigfoot fucking cows. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, it is something to ponder, though. Why is it a big deal? And also, there's a really, really popular uh, Sasquatch podcast out there right now. And on multiple occasions on this podcast, someone who is supposed to be a researcher of some sort of renown, which, but I think that this right here immediately eliminates you. You, you jump in to talk about a story of how Sasquatch flipped an ambulance over and there's a group of six of them and they're approaching you. And, I, and in quoting this podcast, the person says, and, and I just want 
I just want to be honest with you. Um, you know, they, they get flushed and their skin, it gets warm. And, well, I mean, and they were all erect. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an important does, detail. Does that, does that help the credibility of the six Sasquatch flipping the ambulance over story? That yeah. not only they did that, but they were How do you also. I think they flipped it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's leverage, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of one: why are we interested in Bigfoot's wean as much as we are, and then two: why do we have to talk about him violating animals? But yeah. actually, you're the one who keeps bringing it. I up. know. Maybe it is me. <laughs> Maybe it's me. Maybe it is the fact that Patty's boob was the first boob I saw, yeah. and so I am fascinated by it. You always remember your first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so a few of the other things that um, I think are kind of fascinating as topics that maybe you guys haven't discussed as much is just the concept of Bigfoot being a monster. Because a lot of people think that Bigfoot is a monster. And and in monster, I mean, will come to you and eat you if you are not careful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's because, well, that can be kind of a fun aspect of it because we all like kind of at times when we're watching films or even if being in the woods, that thrill for some people, it other people like hate that, redacted. is being scared. <laughs> And then you also have just the, the basic kind of universal notion of a boogeyman, you know, and Bigfoot, I think in some cultures and I think definitely in some Native American cultures has definitely filled, you know, uh, filled that role, whether they're real or not. I think we all seems like we're all pretty convinced that there is something to this phenomenon in, in the realm of being physical beings. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know, but I think once you get into it a little bit and you just realize it's and it's, it's like any animal it's going to defend itself um if it's threatened and if it was as inherently malicious as some of these you know countless b films over the years have portrayed them as i think and if they're real they would have been verified a long time ago i mean the reason like grizzly bears where because grizzly bears are, can be fairly malicious. Yeah. Whereas I think what we're talking about here is like a lot of other higher primates, very relatively docile, really fits the definition of a gentle giant, not a lot of them, and then some relative to other animals, wicked smart. So again, and that goes to the point why I don't think it's that weird that if in fact they do exist, that they haven't been verified yet. What say you, Brian? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what Scott said. I, I think if they were if they were a violent animal, if you look at other large violent animals that were on North America when humans showed up, uh, they got wiped out. And yeah. I, I just there's nothing in my personal experience and the experience of the people that I that I do my research with that, that suggests that they're anything really to be afraid of, you know, that is so infrequently, do they do anything really sort of threatening? Um, I, I think that, that, that Scott's right, that people just like to scare themselves and tell scary stories about monsters in the dark. I think that's just a human nature thing, but that's yeah, not then, what these animals oh, are. That's ahead, not how they act and behave. And, and then you throw in the dimension of the mystery of the whole phenomenon. Right. 
is it real or not? And then I think people like to, because it's a mystery, some people interpret that as meaning some kind of inherent malevolence. Ooh, they, they were, you know, they're, they're demon spirits or they're this, when in fact, you know, if you look at, you know, I'm sure people thought, some people thought this way about orangutans and mountain gorillas because the stories and the mystery of it and the size, I think that's what gets people, they, they, first they're like us. I mean, they're, they're similar to us, obviously relative to other animals. And then their size based on reports of that, if they wanted to, they could pretty easily oh, yeah. take us down. And, uh, and, and that said as well, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I do believe that they are probably incredibly docile only if necessary, uh, a type of creature that only if necessary would they use force, like you threatening their young, like other big mammals, right? And so that said, I think it's likely that if in fact they do exist at some point in the history of the U.S. or somewhere in the world where these other these things may also may be, that it's probable that they have killed a human. I think it's, and again, not maliciously, but probably in a... Uh, yeah self-defense book yeah I, I do there is a uh, there is an inherent creepiness though to the topic right because it, if you even strip away the mystery of whether or not they're real if you just think of it the idea that there are there's a group of creatures running around that uh, is bigger than us and looks kind of like us and has an intelligence yeah. somewhat approaching our own um, and lives just out of view I mean there's something that is uh, even if it's not malevolent, there is something monstrous well, about that idea, right? Here's here's what I would say about that, and and I, and I'm I don't I'm not afraid of these animals. Um, I, I don't equivocate as much as Scott because I've, I've I just have a set of experiences that that I don't I don't I just don't need to do that. Yeah. But they are genuinely creepy because they can be they can get really close to you, and you don't know it. And they are really big, and they are incredibly fast. So there are aspects of, of – and, and they also have sort of a – I don't want to get too hung up on this intelligence thing, but unlike other animals, when they demonstrate sort of a, uh, an ability to think tactically and think through a situation, and you can perceive an intent in their behavior that you don't get from other animals, like a deer or something like that, um, so it is genuinely creepy in that way because we're not used to dealing with other animals like that. We're supposed to be those animals, you know. Yeah. We don't. There, there may be a handful, maybe like a a mountain lion or something like that is is the best analogy of a an animal that acts with intent. Um, but but so there there are creepy aspects to them, but they're not. I don't think they're inherently dangerous um, any more than any other animal. They they're not. I think um, looking to hurt us. Uh, for no particular reason, I, they're they're simply not monsters. They're just great big, smart apes. The monster is us. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be right back. Um, and you know, I you would, say that though. I, I just want to can I comment about one thing that um, uh, Matthew said, and I think what kind of feeds the um, scary factor to to your 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 average joe out there or or joanne is is this notion it always cracks me up when i hear someone use it it's like there's these creatures running around yeah 
these things are doing anything but running around. <laughs> if they were running around, they would have been uh, found a long time ago, I think. I think, like again, like other great apes, they don't, because of their size, they don't need to run around a lot. They find places, little, dare I say, because of the experience that happened to me, tops of very steep, jungly hills, dense terrain. They don't have to keep on the lookout, per se. I mean, they probably do have a wariness of us, which I think a theory I like is that maybe things like us, like Homo erectus, might have hunted relatives of them thousands and thousands of years ago. So they might have an autovistic response to us, meaning they fear us, even though they look at us and we're smaller. But they also would see us using those fire sticks where they they do something and then that deer that's 50 yards away all of a sudden dies. And they're smart enough to go, maybe not hang around those guys. So um, I think they're very, we're like also, Brian also, was alluding to, they're, they're, they're elusive, there. they're stealthy. And, and again, that goes toward the notion, I think people people tend to think, still think, apes as being knocking crap over all the time. <laughs> and I think these things, I mean, if they look like a King Kong, he gets mad and he's, and he's knocking crap over. I think these things, it's just very quiet. And in fact, the video that Daryl, the guy who was on the hill with me, shot 26 years ago, of that I believe is a Sasquatch in in the video. I mean, it is super still. It's just standing. I mean, it's just standing very still. Its only movement is its head tilts out once and then barely moves at all. But it's standing. It's blending. I mean, and there's a lot of yeah. other stories that kind of uh, corroborate that theory. The the, the the creepy ones to me are the one like leaning up. The, the, the hunter thought he saw something or he turns to his right and just a few feet away, he sees this thing leaning up against a tree, just like blending in. I mean, that would evacuate my intestines in about five seconds. I mean, yeah. Just something that big. I had a, so quiet. Go ahead, Brian. I had an experience. Very, I had an experience very much like that. And I, I think that, that sort of um, ability to just, if they don't move. Well, here, here's an example. I, I went into Area X um, a couple of years ago. It was in January. All the leaves are down. My assumption was that I'd be able to see everything really well. But the fact is you, you, the, you have this sort of monochromatic leaf litter on the ground, and our guys, who weren't necessarily camoed up, not by any stretch of the imagination, they were just wearing sort of, natural colored um clothes if they weren't moving i could not see them even if i knew exactly where they were i couldn't see them so these animals i think um depend quite a bit on that sort of um being still and 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 people like us we just look right through them but i had an experience where an animal did that and uh, when it moved it, it yeah the the every hair on my body stood up because it was not there until it moved, and then I could see it, and it it was freaky, man. What's, super oh, wait, wait, what I story just, is this? this? An ape? Was it was this an ape, dude? I mean, did you, or was it a, another yeah. type oh, of animal? Okay, so here's the story. Um, we were in Area X, and we were sitting around one night, and it had been hot as hell all day long. So we didn't have a fire. We had no light in the camp at all. We were sitting in utter pitch blackness. My theory is that if you sit in camp in total darkness, uh, they will come in close because you're not projecting light. And I think that they tend to try to avoid being in well-lit areas like that at night. So anyway, they feel more comfortable coming in close if it's dark. 
So there were four of us sitting around, and we had uh, a night vision monocle. Um, and occasionally, one of us, uh, my, my friend Brandon, who's in the group, would scan around. Um, and it was so dark, dude, I couldn't see any of the people sitting right next to me. It was absolutely mm. pitch black. And uh, he would scan around, and he said that he had a, a thermal hit. He, he could see something in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the thermal unit. And I, I, he handed it to me, and you know, it was sort of fumbled in the dark. And he gave me a general idea where it was that he saw this heat signature. So I put the monocle to my eye, and immediately I saw um, you know, what you would expect a, a fully grown wood ape to look like conical head, shoulders, mm. uh, wow. wide chest. It was filling an area between two trees, and it was on this hillside that I had looked at through, through a heat through a night vision like this. I'm sorry, it wasn't night vision; it was it was thermal. Um, that I had looked at through the thermal on this hillside. I don't know, like a hundred times that I'd never seen this shape before. I'd never, you know, there were rocks up there that would glow and things, but this shape was clearly clearly not normally there and, and it was, was exactly and it what you would imagine an ape to look like. Did and you, and you saw it move? Scott? I'm sorry. Did you, and you saw did this, this uh, object moved it, like it took steps or. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what happened. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, Holy shit. I see what you're talking about. Um, long story short, that's not what he was seeing. He was seeing something else because he told me where his heat signature was. Uh. And I said, no, it's not there. It's up on the hillside. And then he would take, he's like, no, it's over there by the outhouse. And I'd put the thing back up to my head. And I'm like, no, it's right there on the hillside. And uh. I completely discounted what he was saying. I just assumed that, that he was looking at a rock. I, I, I feel bad now um, in retrospect, <laughs> but I knew what I was seeing. So I got up and I turned on my flashlight on this area. And again, just, so you can try to picture it. There are two big trees and it had been so hot that day. And what, what, what sort of threw me is that the trees in the thermal were hotter than the animal was because they'd been sitting in the sun all day long. So the animal actually right. wasn't the brightest thing. If you use a thermal in the, in the woods, oftentimes the living things, the animals are the brightest things. But in this case, it wasn't the brightest because the trees were hottest. Hmm. So anyway, I put my light on this spot. And there's nothing there. It's just like this gray spot in between the trees. So I start walking with this light on this spot directly at it. Like I walk through the fire ring. We didn't have a fire going, but I like, I, I drew it just a straight line and I didn't even blink because I knew that there was something there because I could see a teeth signature. And when I got to the base of the hill, um, it stepped to its left. So it went to my right. And, and I'm telling you, until it moved, it was invisible. And then I saw it move and it just stepped out of this hole, this, this window in the foliage. And uh, I could hear it moving at that point. It was gone. Wow. Um, that's cool. That man. was freaky. That was super freaky. Yeah. And, but it was, it was, if, as long as it didn't move, I would never have seen it. If I hadn't seen a heat signature, I would have no idea it was there. Are you guys recording at all? Uh, just audio recording at all anymore, Brian? Funny you should say we had uh, running. In fact, this is a show of uh, the you know the NAWAC podcast. The next episode we'll be working on is about audio, 
we have um, some units that were uh, Cornell University deployed to help develop this technology of these field recorders that are going 24-7, 365. And they record everything. And then there's software that you can use to pick out noises. And once you identify a noise in the software, it can start looking for that noise uh, automatically. Right. So we had two of these units deployed last year, and, and we learned a lot. Um, the, like all technology, it had some uh, hiccups, and it didn't work as perfectly as we would hope. But we did record some really cool sounds. We recorded, um, to, to me, uh, to, to everyone in the group, sound exactly like the Ohio howl, except in, in one case, this thing went on and on and on. Mm. Um, we've got some really cool sounds that we recorded and that will be the subject of our next podcast episode. Okay, that's... Um, that... And we have two more of them. That we're, so, we're, again, we're deploying them again this year um, in addition to the radio tags to hopefully collect more audio evidence. Okay, that's really kick-ass. Because I, I, I wanted to ask you... Um, I'm, we were really good friends with David Ellis up there in Washington, and he is kind of a mastermind in terms of getting audio sent to him and he he started talking about a year ago about this bark that he was getting he had one of them sent from uh kentucky and uh, a few out there in california there were some that came from oklahoma the texas area and he said he started to notice that they almost sounded they sounded really similar and it almost sounded like a like a yahoo was the the huh. in, the intonation and uh-huh. famously daniel boone and the people of kentucky referred to the sasquatl as a yahoo that was their term for it and one day he stumbled across this footage of a a baboon sitting on its ass overlooking a hillside and it's making this noise. And so Matt and I actually have a couple of these clips. I'm going to play the actual clip of the baboon for you. Yeah. And um, okay. and then I'm going to play. He has um, a, a bunch of these different ones from, again, all over the country in one clip. But it's this one right here, right? So this is the actual baboon bark. Wait a minute, here we go. You hear that that Yahoo? Yeah. Okay. Like that's terrifying. So now here's that with 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 audio that he's been sent from different places. And and I, I just want to get you guys' opinion on this. This is about 40 seconds. Let it roll. think about that um wasn't that wasn't that lover boy 
93? No, I don't know. Ah, it's interesting. I, you know, I don't know. That Yahoo one was pretty cool. And the other ones, yeah, they were kind of re- reminiscent of, to me, some of those audio tapes from the 70s a little bit. It's just, yeah. you know, I don't know. Audio is just, I kind of agree with Green's assessment on audio. It's so hard to know and to gauge you know, how, how big or how close, because every environment is different. The wind, the trees, it's not saying it's not, couldn't be a, a Sasquatch type creature. It's just, I think it's going to be one of those things until verification happens. And then there's some kind of video evidence of those creatures making those noises. Can you then say, Oh, it, that, well, that is a Bigfoot because we have the verified, but uh, certainly interesting. I mean, I, my, I wasn't thinking, well, that's a bird. That's a woodchuck. It sounded kind of cool. Right. You are familiar with the, the it's the, is it the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian Sound Bank that basically yes. is yeah. a collection of animal sounds. And when you actually have a vocalization, you know this from cutting up audio, the way that it looks when it's laid out in Adobe or whatever program you're using to chop it up, that basically becomes yep. a, a fingerprint of sorts. Where after time, you hit in a certain hertz range and your voice looks the same. And the Smithsonian Sound Bank can take these birds, foxes, coyotes, and basically fingerprint it almost. Because in most cases, no matter the distance or the terrain that you are, if it's a robin that's doing its call or if it's a barred owl doing its call, it's hitting in the same hertz range all the time whether or not it's real close to you or real far away. And so that's one thing that's really interesting about something along these lines is that you have an actual baboon in Africa making this barky Yahoo sound, and the signature is similar to things that have been recorded in the States, where unless... Now, I would say there are no baboons, but the other day, like 10 baboons broke out of a (laughs) research facility in Austin and were running down the freeway. So they used a barrel to escape. But yeah. And and then there's that indigenous, uh, well, they're not indigenous, but that uh, there's a, I guess, a relatively huge band of rhesus monkeys that live in the Ocala National Forest in Florida. They were used in films in the 20s. And I can't remember if they, uh, they either escaped or they let them go. And so they've continued to breed and they still live in the forest. There. So you can run into. Uh, right. I basically think that any animal of that looks like a Bigfoot that comes out of Florida is basically Tony Montana's chimpanzee. <laughs> a cocaine monkey. They're yeah. all cocaine apes. Everything that comes out of Florida has to do with cocaine and Mike Tyson and a tiger and Tony Montana and uh, machine guns. But no, Brian, so uh, any is, I, I'm, I don't guess I'm really asking, have you heard that sound there? But are you finding, I, I love the fact that you're going through audio now. Are you finding sounds that are kind yeah, of. So we, we have recordings of whistles. Um, and, and one of the guys that's in, that uh, is a member of our group, his name is uh, Angelo Caparella. He's, he's a PhD birder. Um, he's been all over the world looking for birds. I mean, nobody knows birds better than, than him and bird calls. And he's heard these whistles. He's helped us record these whistles, and, and he uh, is adamant that they're not birds. We've we've played these whistles for other bird experts, and they say they're not misidentified birds. So we have whistle uh, audio that we've recorded. As I said, we've recorded um, 
several, I don't know exactly how many at this point, but we have several examples of Ohio howl type um, vocalizations uh, and, and they're different. So they're, it isn't like our, the, the recording that everyone uses that Mac Bunmaker got um, the, the, you know, that same thing, the same exact audio that everyone uses. It's not that because it's different lengths and, and that sort of thing. Um, and a variety of sounds, you know, um, sort of like, panting kind of like a pant hoot sound um sort of just like what you would refer to as general monkey noises like <laughs> kind of noises um and 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 we do have members who said they've heard that sort of yoo-hoo sound which is why that was that really made my ears perk up i i've never heard that sound myself and i don't think we have that on audio um at this point but i i i have had guys in the group i've heard them talk about hearing that kind of a noise that kind of a a yoo-hoo kind of noise and of course whoops um the kinds of things that you that, that people hear uh we have a lot of this stuff recorded now and and um as i said as soon as we get around to finishing it that's that's the topic of our next conversation that that audio is fascinating i had never heard any of that it's super cool yeah and so in saying that about you using that software where the algorithm ends up looking for yeah. the signature it would be interesting to take a few of those and put them Absolutely. in the program and then look and see if it would check them out. I think there's, yeah. l let's see. There's, that's how it works. Right, exactly. It's exactly as you say, you know, you, you see in a spectrogram, you can see where the sound happens and that's exactly how the software works. You, you sort of like outline that and say, find me more of those. And then it just like pours through the audio files and it looks for those signatures and then it tags them and yeah. then you can go back and listen to them. It, it, it's really the only way that you can record 24-7 yeah. and do anything with it. Scott's doing bits and just at, he's, he's so bad at being a radio board operator that he fired it off during your most important comment of the night. I'm sorry. Oh my, are you kidding? Like what? He didn't talk for four minutes and this is what he has to do now to get, let's get the attention back to Harriet. No, I didn't. I just, yeah. I don't know. Are you, are you able to just mute him at points, Matthew, by touching that board? Um, Sadly, no. Well, let me let me play these. I'm not 100%. This is different right here, but this is also related to the baboon bark thing. Let's see what this okay. one. Yeah, he's going those. back yeah. from the. Yeah, that's the that's the loopy one. Um, here's a couple of growls that he. Oh, I don't that, even think. Second sound. Go ahead. That second sound um, is reminiscent of things that I've heard. Um, that's sort of when the calls falls into the, and again, I'm not a primatologist in any sense of the imagination. So I have this sort of general bucket of monkey noises, you know? <laughs> right. And that that's what that kind of sounds. I've heard things that sound like that myself. Right. Um, the I can't, uh, again, David, the amount of audio that David gets sent to him is that's a, crazy. That's absurd. But this... Uh, so I don't know exactly where this is from, but I want to say, I want to say these are southeastern in nature. But check these out. I don't. They're labeled growls, but I don't. I just don't think that they are. But check this out. The whistle at the end is weird. The, Odd. Bullfrog. Yeah. 
Maybe. Um, and then these, of course, the now infamous double howl from a place in the boggy. And if folks don't know, that's what you caught in Falk, Arkansas. Right. Yeah. Had you heard that before, Scott? No, I hadn't heard that. It. Um... Check this out. So uh, when Seth was recording his Boggy Creek Monster doc. Yeah. Right. By the way, Seth said hello. I'm, I couldn't oh, remember good. what you guys told him. I told him that, they, that you all used to think he looked like he was the bass player in Maroon 5. And he didn't remember it because yeah, his, he's too that's, important. That's what his name sounds like. Yeah. The first time that I read his name on the show, I, like, I thought his name was Seth Breedlove. Like, right. And we, I made the joke that it sounds like he's the bass player in Maroon 5. He doesn't remember that joke? No. He totally big-timed oh. it today. I'm not even kidding, Brian. And I, I, I'm insulted. He was like, what? <laughs> and I said, seriously? You don't remember that, Seth? But then again, I like to prank call Seth when I know he's doing a radio show and leave him ridiculous voicemails of just wacky <laughs> recordings because we've got to remind Seth that he's still Seth Breedlove. Um, check out Seth Breedlove. It's a good Florida name, too. I mean, that's yeah. It is, right? But no, so we were in uh, Arkansas when Seth was filming Boggy Creek. And the interesting thing about this is, is that I recorded these two howls after I did kind of what you did. Scott was jokingly like, let me give a Bigfoot howl, see what happens. Right. And we captured these two howls. The next night on the other side of the swamp, while interviewing a witness, the exact same two howls were captured with the same audio signature. But here's the recording again. Freaky. We've. I, I just actually have listened to a sound that we recorded. So the way this works is, you know, the you go through the sounds and it takes a long time. Yeah. But I just was listening to a sound that, that was recorded last summer, and it's reminiscent of that. It's not quite like that. And the and the thing is, it, it you you just can't know if that's coyotes or not. Some of those howl sounds could be coyotes but it's also a sound that we believe the apes make so some of those are just like they're they're kind of and even in the group amongst ourselves we we go back and forth as to whether or not those are coyotes or not right um that, that, that could very well be um apes but it could also be coyotes yeah I, I guess if you really want to get in the weeds the, we've heard so many stories of of the apes that are uh, mimicking human speech so i mean you know right who's to say they're not mimicking right. other uh animal sounds <laughs> as well if you really want to you know go deep with it but uh like, who, like it, who makes, knows? Yeah. it makes me think of the recording that you guys got right there around the cabin um yeah. down there in x that sounded like the you know the yeah. tasmanian talk yeah. that scott is so the, famous for the... doing <laughs> Is that the one? But that totally tripped me out, Brian, that you had that recorded and it sounded real similar to that. Yeah. It sounds like a guy saying, get the fuck away. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what it, get the fuck that's what, I mean, if, if there's, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we never said that. 
Right. Um, I, I think I e- even immediately messaged you or s- sent you an email saying, are, were there people talking because it's so blatantly yeah. vocally? So here's the thing, I, and this has happened to me down there a couple of times, and this is why, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this is what happened to Scott in the Redwoods, but um, you'll be on the trail walking along um, with a guy or something like, you know, just out trying to do your thing, and, and you'll hear people talking. And you'll and they're off in the woods or something, and you stop. And, and but this like hearing the sounds of what sound like people talking, but then you look at each other and like there's nobody over there. There's not it's not people. You go to investigate or whatever. Um, it it it's it's weird when it happens. And but this sort of vaguely human speech sounds, but you can't actually pick out any words. Um, is is something that that's happened uh, to me personally a handful of times, and it's it's weird. I also heard it once they sort of in a whisper, which is super creepy. That will really creep you out. You heard something similar to just human speech like in that, a whisper. Yeah, that we call it faux speech, but it was like a low. It was almost like a whisper. You know, the mm-hmm. the situation was I was approaching my vehicle, my truck, to put my stuff away before I went to bed. And I sort of dropped a bunch of stuff on the on the, the open, um, you know, the tailgate of my truck, and something right there in the in the bushes, maybe like you know six eight feet away, started to I could hear it stepping back, like footsteps back inside the uh, the foliage, and as it receded, I heard like this whispering kind of faux speech, like this, like it was uh, like mumbling to itself or something. And um, yeah, that that'll that'll get you that'll get your heart going. Yeah, that's that's the stuff that makes yeah. you say that was probably just a demon in my ear. It feels that way. Was it a careless whisper? I don't know. Could have been. What did you say, Scott? I said, was it a careless whisper? It was very careless because I could hear it. Yeah, super careless. Terrible at whistling. Terrible at whispering. Yeah. Um, so Scott, why don't you, uh, what, what, what's your next project? Well, uh, I just finished and just released, uh, three trails in Australia and there is a little bit of uh Yowie talking in the film. Ask a couple people what they think of the, the Yowie, which is cool. <clears throat> for those of you in the know, is kind of the, uh, Australian equivalent of, uh, Bigfoot. Um, had a great time. Did, uh, the Lirapinta trail, uh, which is like dead center of Australia, which was really cool, very isolated. I uh, did the Overland Track that's in Tasmania, uh, which I didn't know until two years ago. It was actually part of Australia. I always thought it was a country unto itself, but that was cool, very jungly. And then I did the Bibbulmun Track, which is on the southwest, in the southwest of Australia. That's about 600 miles. And that was awesome. The wildlife is crazy great in Australia. Right, right. Were were you were you on a bus with Connie Chung? Oh yeah, <laughs> you follow me on Instagram or yeah, Facebook. Yeah, the, um, our flight got canceled. I was taking a flight from New Zealand to go over to Australia, and uh, or down within New Zealand. I think one of the two. And all of a sudden, there, there's Connie Chung and Maury Povich. Just the package deal right in front of me. And uh, and actually, we did ended up talking about Bigfoot a little bit. Um, 
I think they were talking about Letterman or something, or, or I just mentioned it. We just started talking. She said, hey, would you like an apple to somebody sitting next to me? And I said, I'll have one. And she goes, okay. And she was super nice. And Maury was a little more quiet, but he was cool. And then, but then when the topic of Bigfoot came up, Maury Povich actually goes, do you really think there could be something? I mean, he's like serious. And I, you know, gave my little four minute spiel and, and uh, they were very nice. Did so, they did they bring up backyard? Is that why they were talking about Letterman? No, I forgot how it. I think I just told them. They asked. She asked me what I do. Like I'm making document, making a documentary now. I do it on long distance trails, and I've made a few on Bigfoot. And that's I think where Maury mm-hmm. Maury definitely seemed interested in it. Um, Connie just rolled her eyes. No, she didn't do that. Uh, so yeah, it was just they, they were they were lovely the people. And uh, so you had asked, what, what's the new thing? I'm leaning strongly toward there is a new trail scheduled to be completed this year. And even if it's not, I'll, I'll probably do it. Uh, that goes up the center of Ireland oh. called uh, yeah, wow. the Ireland Way. So uh, I'm leaning toward that. And if I do that, I'll probably get a Kickstarter going. And again, I have to I always mention anytime Brian, I'm on the air with Brian. Uh, Brian's the one who got me into Kickstarter. Totally. If Brian had not said, this is for you, you got to do it. I was very skilled. Kickstarter, what? So, again, thanks to Brian for keeping me making just enough money to still live with my 80-year-old parents. (laughs) Uh, Doing what I love to do, making uh, documentaries. So, yeah. That's rad. And obviously, it's SquatchFilms.com. SquatchFilms.com, right. And you're... By the way, I, I don't know, downloadable? Streamable, DVDable, Blu-rayable. Right. Is this yeah. stuff on Amazon? I mean, do you what? What's your distribution look like? Um, is it on iTunes? Is it on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Uh, Amazon is where I get my more of my sales, but I'm, I'm concentrating now over the next month to market more my own website. You may have seen some Instagram and or, and or Facebook ads in the last couple of days. Uh, exploring that, I would welcome any and all marketing, uh, tips from you. Um, the screwy thing though about Amazon though, and is that about a year ago, Amazon bought create space, create space had a deal with them. Right. uh, Right. And then I literally within like a month, once Amazon bought them, all of a sudden my revenue, my monthly revenue dove by about 40%. I didn't even check. I they must be just taking a bigger cut, because it seems too weird to be a coincidence. So I want to find out about that. But you know, um, yeah, man, that's 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 what I do. Making documentaries is hard. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. You're really good at it, though, and you, <laughs> Thanks, some, some incredible shots. Yeah, and it would be awesome for you to revisit some of the. I, I actually was thinking about you the other day. Somebody told me that there was someone from Britain who had shot a documentary or was in the process of shooting a documentary years back and that probably 60 to 70% of it was Dadis Perry related and that for whatever reason, the project got uh, you know scrapped and that somewhere in the bowels of the BBC, there is 
rolls and rolls of footage of Dennis Perry darting around between trees and talking about like well before he was an invalid on his couch and you busted in the door and said tell me about Bigfoot old man and he just all he could do was raise his right arm slightly above his head and you couldn't understand him and so yeah you know, do you guys know I, I know Brian knows this story but I don't know if you remember this is a true story so I made this is from Journey Toward Squatchdom which I made like in 94 1994 so they had a symposium up in Canada, somewhere in British Columbia, I forgot. Remember, Rene was there, uh, DeHinden and Grover Krantz was there, and Eric Beckyord was there. So I'm showing Journey Toward Squatchdom. And during that scene where Datus Perry is, you know, using a roll of paper towels as a pillow. Right. And I really did. I don't know if I would do that now. It was a little like kind of harsh Letterman style because he was kind of nuts, but. I think if you, I've looked at it since, it's not that bad. Eric Beck, Eric Beck, your, the nut job that he was, stands up and goes, this is bullshit. <laughs> walks out. And then, like, he didn't understand it was a comedy or whatever. And then he came up to me after, and then he got kicked out. He got kicked out of the symposium for kind of threatening me. And I go, dude, it's a comedy. I mean, it's hard for some people. I think it, I mean, especially if you're a paranoid schizophrenic, to 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 take the two ideas that you can be comedic about a subject and yet serious about it. Right. Totally. And you yeah. can't tell when when one or the other, then I can't worry about that. You know, it's I so, you know, anyway, that's my little Eric Beckyard story. Although, but getting back to Datus, did yes. you did you literally just kick the door into that trailer? Kick the door in. Did it did did <laughs> did he get up off the couch at all? Wait a minute, did I don't know. No, I think he had to let us in. I mean, that's a B-roll. He didn't have he didn't have a rope trailer. that just he pulled and it unlatched the door. <laughs> I think so. And I th I'm trying to remember who who's the connect might have been Larry Lund who connected me to Datus. And well, I mean, the whole thing about Journey Towards Squatchdom was that I was really into Bigfoot at that point. I mean, I was doing stand-up at the time. So I wanted to make kind of this pre-daily show, daily show-esque. I really got frustrated at the whack jobs because I think there is something to this phenomena. So that's what kind of the, the motivating force. I wanted to have fun, but with the fringier elements of, um, of Sasquatchery. So that was kind of, and then when I did Squatching, by the way, both available on one DVD at squatchfilms.com and Amazon. And if is, you buy it, uh, Scott will get it to you in like 10 seconds too. I, I When I bought it, it was there in two days. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And they um, are fantastic. And I'm not joking, your footage on the top of that mountain is yeah some of the best well, shit like, I've ever seen. You know, well, thanks. And, and and again, to be to give credit where credit's due, that was Daryl uh who shot that because we had both brought cameras up for those who don't and i won't get into the story because it takes way too long but it's just brian a bit of report from his son <laughs> and his son's friend and we went up and we didn't think we we're going to run into anything and we just had cameras looking for footprint evidence on these old logging road roads that we knew were at the along the ridge line and then we ran we saw something that had eyes staring at us the eyes glowed red. that's what i saw with my own eyes eyes glowed red i mean very obviously red. And then a few minutes after that, Daryl got the footage of this thing where you see the upper torso, the sh the arm is just hanging out of the bush and the head moves and it's, it's whitish. 
black face, protruding brow. When I've run that scenario through my head, the hundreds if not thousands of times, and I think I'm a fairly objective person, and I love the scientific method, to, to consider that it was more plausibly a hoax than what I think it probably was, which is Sasquatch, it just falls apart. I mean, like Daryl didn't lead me up the hill. I saw the eyes glow. There's this image. No one knew we were going up the oh, hill man. that day. But there had been this sighting, and I had interviewed those oh, kids. You know. Go ahead, and, Brian. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, a couple of years ago, I, a couple of years ago, I was right where you, I went to that place where you were because I saw that cool. tree, and you know, we were talking about it at the time because you were helping me find it. Right. And the idea that you're going to traipse up that hill and get hoaxed is yeah. it's just it's impossible because that is a hell of a hike up that hill yeah. and to imagine that someone is just sitting up there waiting for you to come up there and discover them <laughs> is ridiculous yeah. I, I know it's really what's that I'm sorry it, it boggles the imagination to imagine that you were hoaxed in any way because I've right. seen where that was it's just it's impossible to imagine yeah, that, that whole area there in Northwest California along 101. And that's another thing. This isn't that, this is like a mile away from 101, yeah. but you might as uh, Highway 101, but you might as well be 20 miles away because exactly. it really got me hooked on this notion. And I, re, I would repeat it several times on the Bigfoot show is that two main things, because this direct experience happened to me, is, is, when you have in these areas where there've been sightings and you have these densely vegetated, steeply sloped hills, you re it, it really drives home the notion, yeah, we have great brains and whatnot, but our bodies are totally friggin' weak compared to these potential beings. Based on what people said, fast, strong, could easily hide up in that, in that and if there weren't a lot of them, it isn't that mystifying that there hasn't been verification yet. So, whatever that's worth. Agreed. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. Agreed. Brian, so um, the NAWAC podcast, you guys are working on the next episode. <clears throat> well, we know what it's going to be about. <laughs> we're going to go <laughs> as far as to say we're working on it yet. You guys have uh, done, we, a we've, you've done a terrific job of got, spacing them out. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> they're, they're very well spaced. Um no, we've got it all. We've got uh, sort of the outline of the show figured out. We actually have outlines of like two or three more shows figured out. It's just a matter of, um, you know, we have sort of a level, uh, an expectation of, of quality. And we want to make sure that we're not just putting them out to put them out. We want to make sure that we're happy with them when they get there. So um, I, I, I knew we'd be talking about it today. And I was thinking, man, we really should get in the studio and start recording that show because it, it's just a matter of, of recording it and then mixing it up because we we know what it's going to be it's just a matter of doing it but that's that's the next one right um it'll be about audio there's something really fun about working the podcast around the audio angle yeah if you have a bunch of it and you were mentioning how long it takes to review some of that stuff that's what i found yeah. so fascinating about what you the way that uh david has learned the visual signatures through the spectrograph yep. is that he can just roll yep. through that audio so fast. You know, he just, yeah. You know, the, it, it, once you learn it, I, the, you know, you were talking about that faux speech that we recorded. That was actually um, audio that, that we had recorded and no one had done anything with for months and months. 
And it was just one of our members literally just listening to it while he was doing other stuff. Um, because we had, he didn't have any software to be able to look at the spectrogram or anything like that. He, he literally had to listen to it in real time. And he's the one that found that audio months later. Um, I mean, audio, audio can be a real bear if, if, if you're doing that kind of always recording thing, but the software that, that exists now, uh, makes it a lot easier. And you're right. Once you, I know, and I'm not an audio expert, but when I was editing podcasts and stuff, I could get to a point where just just looking at the sound, I could see, I could tell who was talking. I right. could, like, you know, I'm always looking to, to edit out little ums and uhs, and I could identify those and, and pull them out without even having to listen to it because I knew what it was. Um, you you get to that, you you know, you get that good with it. Um, the the longer you spend working with audio, I'd be fascinated to. Uh see how that program rolls the the one that is identifying the vocalization yeah that sounds really cool and maybe we can um maybe we can share with you some things to pop in that thing and see if it yeah pulls them up i I can i can uh it's a it's a it's actually rather it's like a um and i forget what it's called now but i can find out what it's called um it's a it's a, a a piece of software that is for academic use and it's not inexpensive you know it, really it's, it's um it's not professional grade it's academic grade but but uh, the license fees from what i understand are, are are pretty stiff so it's um but it's incredibly sophisticated i know one of the things that angelo was doing when i was in the field with him um last is he was doing another study on on the sounds of bats so he would record these sounds of bats and he was getting to the point where he could identify the bat just by listening to it um, but, but it, that's, that's the kind of thing this audio is for, you know, you, you, you hear a, a recording of an animal and then you, you identify it in the software and then the software just chugs through all your audio and tags all of the instances for you. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I think that, uh, I know you guys have hours and hours and hours and hours of audio that nobody's probably listened to. Yeah, at this point, it's it's it, and I don't know exactly how it all works, but I know that that you know that you you put it through the software, and then someone has to go in and review each of them individually, and um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a task. But that's a lot quicker than, like you said, listening to it in real time. It always makes me think of that old uh, that ghost hunter show where it would show them the night after they had been in a house all night, and then it shows the the peons sitting in the right. hotel room right. and all they're Spending doing is hours just sitting there with headphones on, just staring at the wall. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> like that's yeah. the worst. That, that's, right. That's yeah. the worst part of that job. And, and to be in a situation where either, a you know, AI could do it for you or you could just look at it and know it's tremendous. Man. If you go to our website, if you go to the, if go to woodit.org and um, go to the page, Actually, if you Google um, Washita, um monograph, the uh, Washita, yeah, the monograph, uh, and you go to the page uh, where, the, where the monograph is hosted, there's audio files on there that we recorded fairly early on, and those are fascinating because on those you can hear you can hear the apes like wind up and and huff when they throw the rocks. You can hear them like grunt with exertion. It's really something that that that's. It's just amazing, amazing audio. Yeah, and there that that's where the get the fuck away audio is in there too. Yeah, it's on the same page. Yeah, right. The, the, get the, yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, right. it's really cool, man. I really appreciate you guys taking some time. I know that the 
your millions of fans, those that adore you, Scott Harriet. Oh, both of them. Both of them. So before we go, yeah, Scott. Yeah. What's your percentage? Um, in my opinion, on the probability that the Patterson Gimlin film is a hoax, seventy nine point seven. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Has MK Davis found anything new in the video in the last three years? That's <laughs> he's found five chimps and a and a uh, and a tuba. <laughs> a tuba. It's a... Go ahead. That would be. You have more more than a twenty percent chance. You think that that film is real? Though is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think uh, uh, I, I forgot it. Um... Muns, what's what's the 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 um, we had him on the show the Bill the Bill Muns yeah Bill, Bill Muns yeah yeah he moved me a little bit um, not scientifically just emotionally right no, he he made some good points and some of the stuff uh, moved me a little bit but it for me it didn't it didn't negate what I would consider the multitude of red flags associated with the film. Like so I still hold that it's coaches. probably hoax. It's still the greatest mystery. And here's the thing. If it is a hoax, and the, the only way I think, because I don't think it'll ever be scientifically, conclusively determined one way or the other, but if, and I think we talked about this in the Bigfoot show, Brian, but if like, <laughs> no. if it is a hoax, Bob Gimlin, in all likelihood was in on it, but when he dies, then then literally there is no use talking about it anymore because – he would be the only one who, if he confessed that it was a hoax, um, I think would clear it up for the vast majority of people. So what is, what's the thing that's slowing down or stopped the idea of trying to recreate it that you guys continuously talked about? You're, I mean, does it, is it because you need to be around Connie Chung in the wilds of Australia yeah. that you can't you know, put your... Well, I, I would say this in a nutshell. You've got... First of all, and Brian will, I think, will agree with me on this, the attempts, the lame attempts that have been done on, uh, not recently, but on right. cable shows, like, we tried to recreate, the, and they, they weren't even trying. It was, remember that one, guy? Like, he had, like, an orange right. thing? <laughs> they, Clearly impossible. With all the ping pong yeah. balls over him, doing yeah, the golem walk. Really, really bad. So you've got the ultra skeptics, which are a lot of people are. I wouldn't call myself an ultra skeptic, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly strongly skeptical of the film. But those are the they don't even want to bother. And then you've got those on the right, which are the firm believers. They don't really have an incentive to try to want to recreate it. I think I think a kind of psychologically they don't they wouldn't want to do that. And B they're they're convinced. So why would I but, even try to? So but you but, though, like why wouldn't you? Oh, who it's the the time, the money. First of all, to do if I was going to do that, I would. It would have to be part of a documentary. Why do it? No, that's what. It? No, that's what I'm saying. Why would that documentary that you have always said that how kickass it would be to make that project? Right. Well, that's not a bad question. Here's you know, the reason: the amount the of thing, money it would take to get the rights. Hang on, just a sec, Scott. What's that, Brian? Do a Kickstarter. You, Scott, I bet that yeah. Bill Munns would do it with you. I bet Bill Munns, if, really? if you said, because you know how to make a film, you know how to like actually put a film together. He knows 
how to do the costume and everything else, and he knows all of the, you know, the, the I mean, you guys could do that. You would yeah, need I, money. I, actually, I mean, I think that's I, what, what holds people back is that it's just, it would be too friggin' expensive to try to, to, to copy that thing, which is, I think, one of the reasons why it's probably real. But uh, uh, I think, I think it would be cool I, well, to see my a, expense, a Harriet Munn. My concern with expenses is getting the rights, is that if they had a tendency, and there hasn't been any in a few years, but when there was all those slew of cable shows about the Patterson film, oh, they'd give it to the to the believers. They would they would lend it lend it out. I mean, not that they wouldn't charge money for it, but who's ever now controlling that film? I surmise that if you knew, although I would be totally willing. In fact, you know what I'd agree to that. I, I would want the pros and the con, like the best five arguments for it and the best five arguments against its authenticity, and then don't have a final conclusion. In other words, you literally almost have like a split screen. And I don't, I, I would guarantee that I'm not going to go, well, but I think we, you know, right. I wouldn't have the last word, in other words. Just get the best arguments for, best arguments against, and then work to to duplicate it. I I, I agree. I feel that it probably could get reasonably replicated. You wouldn't be able to do it exactly because you couldn't, you know, but would it be enough so you could show, um, for example, what is clearly either a real calf bulge or part of a costume? Would you be able to make that back as tight as it appears with the spinal indentation? And again, only using 1967 materials. Um, I don't think the button no, would be hard because the butt doesn't really move. That's one of the arguments against the press because it kind of sits there. It's a diaper butt theory. So, but here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. I, 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 I think that it at least should be. You should at least broach it, or else yeah, these some of these people are going to die and it's going to be over. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. If, well, I don't know if Gimlin would be interviewed. Oh, you know what would be no. great to get footage from is is what who's the guy? He's oh, I would call him an ultra skeptic. The kid with the, with the Japanese name, dude. Remember Kit, Kitaka- Kit, Kitakazi. <laughs> Kitakazi has footage. Mythical Kitakazi. Yeah, he lots of interview footage that he got with Hieronymus, and so it would be interesting to get that. Uh, but I agree, if if you're gonna have it. You have to have the attempt at the recreation. And hey, Brian, do you remember the guy? There was a guy on Bigfoot forums. Remember, he it's pretty clear he worked in the industry, but he kept poo-pooing the idea. And he he'd come on a lot and he knew a lot historically about that time and how where Patterson probably, if it's if it's a fake, where he probably went and how do you remember that guy? I would love to get a hold of that guy as being one on the skeptical side. And you have months on the believer side. It's a lot of work, man. I'm, I, I'm getting triggered. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? What? I'm, 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 you're triggering me, man. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> and I think the, the, the groundwork for it, 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 you know, it's not about, you'd have to have the same camera, the same as, as much as possible, the same uh, film type, same development, and the same walking pattern. Basically, oh, the, the arm swung a little, you know, it can't be exact. That's not, the main thing is, are you able to, from that general distance we know, replicate it to show that some key things like the calf bulge, which is very clearly there, and the tautness of the back and the, the head shape. 
Um, What's the money figure that it would take for you to stop going to Ireland <laughs> and and actually instead of talking about it, uh, put put some. Well, I would think for total, I mean for fee because I don't you know obviously want to be paid for it, plus fees to get the Patterson film. Um, I would think it seventy five to a hundred grand. That's it. I think it could be done on that, man. Dude, I, mean, I, I think, think you can get that on. Yeah, I think I think you can get that on a Kickstarter, Scott. Don't I, I you, know, Brian? Not just doing a whim. You got to think it out before you do it, and the plausibility of doing it. Like I wouldn't, I couldn't start a Kickstarter until I would have a guarantee that Muns would be involved, that I could, that I would, that I could use the highest resolution film. Um, and it's, it's so much work, dude. It's look so, at him. I mean, look at him now. He's oh. <laughs> Oh, you can't be bothered with it now. We'd be great. You'd be great. You you represent, I mean, even though you never read Greg Long's book, you would represent a good, you'd be a good, you know, skeptical arguer. And I think the thing, the thing that has to be done is I have to get a really hot woman wearing a wire to approach Bob Gimlin (laughs) and try to get him to confess it's a hoax. I like this plan. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but you've already said it out here publicly, so now it's not going to work. I know. I, I, you know, to to how much I think if 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 Scott had access to the to the film and could use it, and um, if someone like Munz uh, agreed to be part of it, yeah, I think he, he could raise a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter, no problem. I think, could, I think I, that's one hundred percent possible. I think it is possible, and I would again, I would agree, I would totally agree in writing the format that it won't end with because. You know, it's known that I'm skeptical of the film going in and that would just be in fact, I would even maybe even allow. You know, like months, for example, to OK the footage he wants to use, like I, I, I make a cut and I go, Bill, does, is this does this fairly represent your opinion? You know, and he would have to. Although, see, that gets tricky. What if he says no, then the film's screwed. So I don't know. I think, I think. Are, are you open to at least, would it, would it at least, would you okay just asking? Like if we just kind of floated the idea to Bill? Yes. yes. I, oh, sure. Absolutely. And if he was interested and, and he could, if he has, cause I think he has the best quality, doesn't he have of the, of the film and stills and whatnot. Um, yeah. He's the, I, of it. I believe the Pattersons gave him, you know, access. And again, yeah. I think it's because he was a believer going into that project. And, uh, and again, I don't, I'm not saying Bill, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying Bill's a crackpot. I, I think he, he makes some good points and some good experimental attempts in his analysis. The one that Brian had shown, uh, some of them I disagreed with. Some I found persuasive enough to move me out of the 80% down to the 70 but like I said, it doesn't negate. There's so many red flags around the making of this film that it still leads me. Even though I will say, and I've said this before, the most important thing about the argument of the Patterson of the Patterson film is the film itself. But you can't completely ignore the secondary evidence of. Patterson. But that would all be really cool stuff to get into in a documentary style format 
while the suit is being made and while the preparation for the recreation yeah. is going on, it's an opportunity to tell that story from both angles, which never happens. It, the great thing about you guys talking about the Patterson film was the fact that you both had differing opinions. But it would yeah. Yeah. eventually, that those two sides of thought never come together, ever, except what you guys did. And I mean, when else well, do you I, hear anybody agree. talk I mean, about it? There, there were some shows that I think uh, the voiceover aspect of it would be fairly balanced. But you're right as far as uh, on on-screen proponents from each side, that would be, uh, I think that'd be cool because I still think it, it is such an amazing, it is a, it's a great, it's the be single best mystery within the general mystery of Bigfoot still going. It's, it's, it's an amazing mystery. Go ahead, Brian. I, to, to be fair to Bill, I think if you look at his book and, 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 uh, look at the work that he's done. He, he tried to create that suit. I mean, he was trying to make the suit in the film. And but the thing we never talk possible. about, Bill is so blind. I, I, no, he's not. What's that? He said Bill was blind. blind. We never mentioned that part. Um, Hang on just a sec. Where You're saying he was trying to create yeah, the suit? Yeah, he's, he's trying to make the, the suit in the film because he knows how to make, you know, he's, he's an expert in that sort of construction and, and was active at that time and, and he was trying to, to recreate the film. He's trying to make the suit that you see in the film. And he determined that it was not possible. And so in a way, the documentary that Scott's describing is basically a film version of, of Bill's book. And I think it would come to the same conclusions that not only is you, can you not recreate that shape, you can't put a person, a human being in that shape. And, and and make it work. It just it just doesn't the you know, you want to make fun of the index all you want, but you can't make a human being um walk in a suit that looks like that and, and have the geometry work. And there's no way to create the striations and the, the muscle musculature and all the things that you see. Um it's just it's just not possible. And again, I'm not the expert Bill Munz is, but I, I think that he was doing a, a sort of a fair attempt at, at, at creating what you see in the film and, and his conclusion after, after spending, I mean, I don't even know how many hours of effort he's put into that, how much money he's put into it. Um, his conclusion was that you just can't, you can't do it. It's not something that can be done. And but here's, here's what I would, my, my retort up. to that, my, or as they say on CNN, I'm going to push back on Brian just a little bit here is uh, no, not like the cow. Thankfully <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is the um oh god i i should have i did I drank too much coffee today um you know is the notion that bill when we had him on the show he he did confess he goes look i admit that in the history of human invention there are people who are outside of the norm who come along with techniques that the quote unquote experts never thought of so he did acknowledge that that he said it's possible. I don't totally rule it out that a guy, you know, who wasn't schooled could come up with something because he's looking at it in a totally different way. And I think Long, Long's book, again, I've said it on the show, as flawed as it is, he makes some, and Brian loves to joke around about the stage coaches that he made. But I think the evidence is pretty strong that Patterson was the exact type of guy who would do something or at least attempt something like this, that he was very innovative that 
he if it is possible to create such a suit, he could have possibly been the guy to do this. So, um, you know, again, attempting to do it. And let's say like if we did it and it wasn't able to be recreated by me. Well, then I, I don't know shit about suits, but or the experts involved, it still wouldn't conclusively prove. That's what that's the and Brian has made this point on the Bigfoot show before. To a degree, as far as verifying whether or not Bigfoot exists, the, the Bigfoot or the Patterson film can be kind of a dead end. But as a mystery in and of itself, it's still interesting. Like if you could make a film where it was close enough that you could say, look, this doesn't, pre you know, the thing is you could, let's say you could recreate a suit and it was pretty damn close to what the the being in the Patterson film lo looks like, it still wouldn't disprove the Bigfoot, I mean, the, the Patterson film. It could still be a Bigfoot in the Patterson film. All you were showing is that if if it's a hoax, here's how it could have been done. That's all it would do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, I'm always, it's one of those mysteries where you think you've got it. Like, because I, I was a believer. I believed that it was real for a long time. And I just, and I, and again, I don't know absolutely, but when I weigh everything, I just think it's probably not a Sasquatch. <laughs> even, and, and then, even though it happened 22, approximately 22 miles as the crow flies from where Daryl and I encountered this thing on a hill. But again, I was there, I saw the glowing red eyes. But it was also a great place to do a hoax, if you were gonna do a hoax. After you'd written a book the year before, saying your favorite story is about a female Sasquatch sighting by a guy named William Rowe. And lo and behold, you happen to film a female Sasquatch that very next year. That That's one of the the problems with the story, I think, or the improbability. But, but here's the thing, though. Here, here's the funny thing is you said a little a few minutes ago that yeah. you were in that creek bed looking for footprints. You went up the hill. You had a camera. You have, And then all of a sudden you created this video. How is what happened to you any different than what happened to Patterson? He was making a film about Bigfoot. He went into an yeah. area where people said they saw them, exactly like you did. He no, knew his technology, I wasn't making and he a filmed one. It it's the same I mean, exact the... scenario as what happened to you. No, no, it's not. We, I wasn't making a documentary at the time. I was go we had cameras to document if we found footprints at the top of the hill. Well, we, but we, same we, thing. We, so same thing. You're, the, you're out there with a camera looking for evidence you're trying to document it that's exactly what that dude was doing he stumbled upon yeah, but, a, but, a, a, but, yeah, ape, but apparently dude, the, com the commercial and, and aspect. it was a 50-50 shot it was going to be a male or a female presumably 50 50 no shot. no no well, uh, no if you, anyway. if you take green's data john green's data female sasquatches according to his databank are very rarely seen and then they have cow skin capes according yeah. to Dadis perry exactly also was it gay so i think <laughs> if if it's a hoax I think the likely scenario is that because he was shooting a documentary, all right. So he's made he wrote he wrote this book, kind of a cornball book. If you've never read, it's very exaggerative. Uh, imagine a Trump voter writing a book about Bigfoot. It's very much. Sorry if I'm ostracizing anyone out there. And um, so the very so the next year, he shooting a documentary. I think what probably happened. This is again my is that because he says in the book. Like his favorite sighting is the William Rowe. He, he even rips off a photo and draws his own name in, copies a photo from someone, does a sketch drawing. He, I think he was doing a recreation of that. And then they looked at it 
and they and then he tried to pass it off as real. And some people bought it hook line hook line and sinker. That's what I think. We'll be right back. And I don't think the evidence supports that theory in any way, shape, or form. He wrote the book. He said that was his Hang on, hang on, Scott. Hang on, hang on. Moderation. Brian? This whole conversation is uh, is ultimately futile. Because it, Scott already said it. It doesn't matter if this film is real. I mean, in relation to whether or not it can verify, scientifically verify whether such things as Sasquatches exist. I would say that. I, I think that, you know, because obviously the intermembral index has not swayed anybody in, of, of, in, any, in any main way. It's never been peer reviewed. To, hey, you know, you're right. That can't be a human in a suit. So it's not, but, but, it, doesn't have the, it doesn't have the weight of evidence I think you think it has. It Other doesn't than, have the weight of evidence. You're, you're saying that it, because it hasn't swayed anyone scientifically, nothing has. I mean, literally nothing has swayed anyone scientifically. I mean, well, that's what I'm, what I'm saying is only DNA, part of a body or a body will do that. So, but the Patterson film. Well, on that, we completely agree. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. You can't conclusively, if you could conclusively rule out it was a human being, then it would be proof. But I, I'm just, I just want to. I just want to uh, go after the point that because you know no one would write a scientifically reviewed paper on the intermembral index, then it's it's a worthless piece of, of analysis and evidence. No, it's no, no. I don't say it's worthless. I, I just say it's inconclusive. The evidence is completely dismissed all the time, which is how we end up in the conversation about how you need a piece of a body, because otherwise, if you don't have that absolutely incon that inconclusive or totally conclusive evidence no one's going to talk to you anyway you know i, I would even and i and i'll shut up about this are you real brian's really having flashbacks right now i can tell you God, <laughs> it's, it's God. not really it really wouldn't be a bigfoot show it wouldn't be a bigfoot show unless the term peer review is mentioned no, so i'm glad you got that in there. here's what i would say let's say tomorrow a trucker hits a bigfoot it's killed they've got a you know hits him hey these things exist and they have a basic idea of this particular Bigfoot's obviously it's dimensions. They can do that. I don't, that still wouldn't, it wouldn't prove the Bigfoot. I mean, the Patterson film is real. Even if you had dimensions of what, because you can't rule out, it has not been ruled out conclusively scientifically that, that it's a human in a suit. I mean, there's been, a this tense, is my favorite part of this. It, and this hasn't. is when this debate, this is when this debate really, really sort of reached its logical conclusion. And you said this on the show once. <laughs> we talked about this scenario. What if someone in a truck ran over a Bigfoot and it looked exactly like Patty? I mean, exactly yeah. like Patty. And you're like, that wouldn't prove that the film was real at all. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm done. Because it wouldn't, though. Scientifically speaking, that's what we're talking about, then why are we even yeah. having this conversation? Yeah, it's, dude, it's not, it's, again, it's not, it's not a, um, the argument has to be you have to be able to rule out that it's a human. If you do that, since it was it was in the age pre-CGI, the film has not yep. been manipulated. If yep. you can't rule it out, therefore, it could be somebody in a suit. Therefore, it's not proof that it's absolutely a Bigfoot. That's all I'm saying. You guys are amazing. You know that, right? 
for for yeah. arguments like this and Brian just he gets frustrated in the face of logic. Oh boy, here we go now. Class, class, settle down. Let's not throw things. And yet, I do praise him again for the what is it? What else did Brian? God, there's another thing I'm very indebted to Brian for Kickstarter. Oh, and just asking me to be on the show, which I think he probably regrets now. But uh, no, no. I mean, Brian, I consider <laughs> no man seriously easily one of the smartest people in the realm of Bigfoot. Twenty-two, the last I checked. And, talk to so he just happens to be deadly wrong about the pg (laughs) (laughs) that's just it neither one of us is right or wrong it's just where we where our guesses are where the the same evidence where does it get i mean i think even brian would say do you know it's a big no he i i think he would go 90 you probably a 99.87 percent probability that it is a big foot Sure. So, yeah, man, you guys, you guys are awesome. This has been great, uh, and and I know that all those people out there who needed to hear that argument again <laughs> are quite pleased. I don't know what's wrong with them. They need to get a life. They need to get <laughs> HBO. They need they need they find the internet. I don't know, man. Anybody who needs that is sick. <laughs> well, um, I'm still trying to tie the Patterson Gimlin film into the Zodiac Killer somehow. <laughs> Some yeah, there's, I think tonight we introduced a new angle that maybe you hadn't thought about before, and that is ape rape. What was Patty running from? <laughs> yeah, or what were there cows in the towards? area? Yes. What is the cattle uh, factor in the area at the yeah. time? Well, that uh, yeah. we'll have to do some some deep studying on that factor right there. Since <laughs> <laughs> if, if Patty is a Sasquatch. Some kind of large branch strap-on involved there. I'm just, can't, can't end a large branch. Strap-on. I think we can. I think we can. That would be the point where you said, "Well, there's your name of the episode, Brian." <laughs> yeah, right. Large branch strap-on. <laughs> no, I can't you do that. The last time you were on the show, I put loudmouth dicks in it, and Zuckerberg shut the shit down on Facebook. So, what is oh, the? Yeah, you can't. You can't use the foul words. Yeah. yeah. You can't even say penis museum. I, there was an episode, I forget what it was, but I, uh, oh, it was, who was the guy we had on that, 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 uh, Paul and I interviewed the old, um, oh gosh, Paul early on guy. Chris, um, no, no, no. The, the guy who knew, um, the, the guy who did the, the Minnesota wild man, oh, uh, the um, Vern Langdon, Vern Langdon, Vern Langdon, Vern Langdon. Vern Langdon and his big ass bird, or something like that, mm-hmm. was the name of the episode. And iTunes <laughs> wouldn't let me do oh. big ass. Are you like, serious? I didn't want to use the word ass. Yeah, that was great. Oh, so that British. was great. He was. He was. That was a fantastic episode, by the way. The way yeah, that was ever. great, man. That, that was... All that is is a big ass bird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great accent. Yeah, that was a classic. Well, um, Matthew is going to um, be divorced if we don't get him out of here to his lovely bride <laughs> quick enough. And uh, all I want to say is, uh, first to both of you, thank you. And then yes. let's just at least push a few of those buttons, Scott. Just a few. Uh-oh. Just push the ball down the road a little bit and see what happens. And um, yeah. Brian, let's talk audio. And thank you both for everything that you've ever done for the realm of Bigfootery.
Well, it was a pleasure I'm to sorry. do the show. I'm, I'm happy we did it. <laughs> was that, there was the Oscar music when he was playing in the background. You guys are great. I appreciate it, man. He's, I think he's going to go turn the mixer off. Um, but, hey, um, thank you both. Your heroes, your heroes. Yep. I can't believe Seth didn't get the, <laughs> didn't didn't remember the the joke either. You're gonna have to give him shit about I'm that. I'm insulted. I'm insulted. Yeah, you should. Thanks. You should be. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having us, on, man. It was fun. No, for sure. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you boys soon. All right, yep. man. Thank have you guys. Time. All right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. The wild card, the wild line. card line. So yeah, sad news. Mom, moment of silence for the RB. Paul in uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's shitty, but it's also a good time to tip your cap to somebody who meant something to you. I people are going to say this kind of stuff a lot, but quite literally our reason for doing this that we are doing is the person who put Art Bell on 400 some odd radio stations had hired me and in an offhanded comment of me saying I used to tell my buddies in school that I was going to end up doing this he said make a demo tape Yeah. thus we finally got in the studio and did what we said we were going to do um, I also intimate enough with it that I ran, I was counting the other day, I think a total of about four and a half years, I ran coast to coast and at least three of those were art years. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's safe to say that even even if it weren't for that direct relationship where someone had said, hey, why don't you guys, right. why don't you make a demo? Um, and a lot of people have said the same thing, and I, we mentioned it on, on our Facebook page, but like art made it um, okay, made it, was like made it the ability to talk about these things open, openly from coast to coast. Uh, he made it all right and and i think inspired a lot of people who do things like we do to i mean i don't know when where we're going to put this on the show but um we either are about to have scott harriet and brian brown on or we just did but um think about we're time traveling <laughs> think about it's it's something that we really didn't get in, into them with but shows like the bigfoot show shows like you know, our shows like uh, a lot of the others that that you hear and are probably fans of. Um, I I would say almost to uh, to a man say that uh, art and coast to coast was a big inspiration. You know, like you almost everybody listened to that show and came came away from it that are doing this saying I want to do that. Yeah, I think the best, probably the best compliments that. Art's going to get from people, though, are from people in the radio industry who are not into paranormal shit, Yeah, who would listen to Art Bell in the mornings on their way to work or whenever they had a chance because 
he was damn entertaining. Yeah. And <clears throat> I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of that in the people, just different radio personalities or, or um, uh, people who are in, you know, news or, or where broadcasting in general, just saying, you know, Art Bell, like it, whether you believed it or not, Art Bell was captivating in a way that few other people were. Right. And he also did something that's really cool in that he let the story be told and let the listener decide. And there certainly were times when he became part of the story. But he never was faced with sort of the criticism that a lot of people are by the outside world of staging something because right. there was never a definitive, this is a true story, this is what happened. And then it was always about theories and concepts and letting people tell their tale. He's one of the first people that I remember that would do the, I've got these two ladies, they hunt ghosts. And they have got audio for you to hear, ladies and gentlemen. And what I am trying to tell you right now is, it is terrifying. You know, and yeah. just his, um, something as simple as that. It's it's the beauty of the, the formula of Coast to Coast. And it's something that I've thought about a lot as we've done this show. And it's this idea that it doesn't matter if you believe or disbelieve. I'm sure there were a ton of people that called in to art or to George or whoever is, you know, guest hosting the show that they think this guy's completely full of it or this girl's, you know, crazy, but that's not the point. The point is here's this overnight show that is an open forum for you to talk about whatever you, it's, it's true freedom of speech, right? It's truly the people's airwaves where, you call in and you have some sort of crazy ass story about seeing a Bigfoot and or seeing a ghost or, or some audio that is creepy, uh, you know, recorded from the bowels of hell and all this, all the things like that that get that got played on the show. Um, here it is. Right. Here it is. And you, listener, make up your mind, but we're going to present it to you in the form that we get it, whether that be a phone call or email or. Uh, audio sent to them or, or whatever and i think there's something you know beautiful about that right totally and he was also a radio guy a technical guy which is something that's fascinating the running of the board stuff yeah his setup when you would look at those pictures of him in there it reminds me of the first radio studio that i worked in and when i did a live show for six hours that included me playing commercials me turning the knobs, me answering the phones, and me speaking. Yeah. And I don't know now how I did it. You know, now that <laughs> everything crazy. is so automated, yeah. I don't know how I did it. Yeah. Especially not knowing what the hell I was doing. Literally walking in off yeah. the streets. Um, but there is, you also learn real quick. And it's something to be able to do the, spoken word thing it's also just a wholly another to understand the radio all of the other concepts in it yeah um you mentioned the whole 
the overnight, the intimacy thing, I would plan my drives from West Texas to East Texas around his show. I would want to be in the car when his show was starting to make that either three hours if I was coming to Dallas or four hour drive easier. Yeah. And I would be able to pick up KLIF the entire way, which is insane. You know, from Abilene to Dallas and or Tyler, that KLIF signal would be there. And the the ghost to ghost episodes always always made a huge impression on me. But and I'm gonna see if I can find some of this because I think some of this is out there. My favorite all time at anything that Art Bell ever did was an episode with John. He, uh, a night he had John Lear, whose father invented the Learjet. Mm-hmm. Discussing aliens and the bases on the moon. And that is some of the most provocative, mind-bending shit. And the way that Art responded to it, it's just classic. Yeah. And I've heard that guy be on other shows, and it's not the same. It's just not the same whoever it is that's talking to him doesn't have the credibility that art had to be able to talk to someone who is really small, you know, on this kind of a level of, I'm going to try to explain to you something right now that's going to split your lid. Right. They don't have that kind of art had that. He commanded that. Yeah. And could get people both, both high and low on his level real quick. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I remember listening when I first started listening to Coast to Coast, just kind of also just being blown away by the format of it. The idea that here's the show and they're going to have somebody on for four hours and they're going to talk to them about, they're, they're, they're just going to talk for four hours and it's going to be like, I'd stay up all night listening to some of these interviews. And yeah, you're right. I would plan my day around it. I would either, if I was driving back from somewhere, I would think, well, at least I'll wait, a, I'll wait an hour. And then at least I'll have coast to coast on my way home. Right. Or when I was working the evening shift and driving back to Fort Worth and I'd be, you know, leaving the station at 1230, one o'clock in the morning and I'd get home and I'd be dog ass tired, but I'd go out on my balcony, I'd maybe, I don't know, spark up a cigar, turn my little radio on and listen to the rest of this interview on coast to coast and uh, just kind of sit there in the darkness and let it kind of wash over me. And especially uh, I mentioned in the, in the Facebook comments about the, the ghost to ghost episodes, the the Halloween episodes, which were always so wheels off and just some of the craziest stories that you've ever heard coming out of those. And man, you just sit back and either listen to them the night of, or pull the archive and listen to it at your, at your leisure and just be like blown away, transported by some of these stories. Was- Here is how influential he is not only is it that we're here the reason that i got the job at klif the from going from being kind of intern marketing guy to being on klif was because i was looking for that john lear episode yeah i wanted to get on i knew there was a logger 
And I asked Jeff Hillary, the program director at the time, hey man, I need to, I was gonna see if it would be okay if I got that. Like I need that on CD. Yeah. <laughs> I need that. And he was like, you listen to Coast? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you've done radio? Well, yeah. And he just walked next door and was like, Anne-Marie, I think I found your overnight guy. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, it was, and that just kind of just hit me that that's the whole reason I was asking yeah. Uh, and ended up there and then ended up here. And that's some spooky stuff. I I, uh, I would have and still do prob- probably a lot on like an old busted out hard drive. Loads of MP3s of shows where, and I, I still do this now, but I don't do it near as much as I used to. And this just says something to kind of the content, the way that it is. But... I'll go on the KLIF logger, especially on the weekends when they're playing the Somewhere in Time, mm-hmm. and kind of just look on the Coast to Coast website and see what's being dropped. Because it's like, here's my, you know, I have the rare opportunity of being able to pull that. Yeah. Um, just for my own personal consumption, because, yeah, there's some times when it's the best and the only. And the commercial breaks were never too much of a beating. No. The two minute, the thunder sound. (laughs) I, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's impossible to overstate the importance of Art Bell and Coast to Coast just to us personally. And again, um, Vance mentioned on, on, uh, Facebook, the most honest statement made is that there would be a small handful of obscure shows had it not been for Art Bell blasting the airwaves worldwide, making it acceptable and culturally cool to broadcast about all things paranormal. And it's true. Like uh, it, I really do think it inspired just so many people. Uh, Johnny said Mel's hole was his favorite uh, story. A classic story of a guy with an unending hole in his backyard. Um, That's the sounds of hell stuff, right? Yeah. That came out of Mel's hole. Uh, Brian on Facebook says uh, his favorite story were two episodes of a guy named Bugs who claimed to have killed a Bigfoot in the 70s. Right. Uh, turned out to be fake, he believes, but it was a really good story. He was a really good storyteller. And then and uh, Art was like, you you have a map. I am in possession. No, he was like, I am in possession of a map. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, it mentions Ghost to Ghost, and uh, uh, it was before he became desensitized to ghost stories that you routinely hear on, on podcasts. And he was listening in his room and legitimately wondered if he could even continue listening. It was so scary. Right. Because it was the, that those ghost to ghost episodes were truly, truly the around the campfire format of let's bring you in. Let's bring you in. Let's bring you in. Let's bring you in break you in, you in, you, you know, and you never knew what you were going to hear next. You w- w- didn't get to look at the person. You didn't know those those people that were just randomly on calling from their homes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, Andrew on Facebook uh, saying anytime he got a true crazy off the phone without being nasty, he was a class act. And, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things. that <laughs> Just drop him. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you just heard there. <laughs> I don't know if that is correct or true. Yeah. All I know is I suspect it is. I suspect that this is going on in and around the world. And I really wish the sad thing is is that there is not an Art Bell here today to comment on a story 
that happened today where when I first saw it, the first thing I thought of was Art Bell, and that's the, the mind control story that came out today. Ah, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. Did you look at the documents? No, not yet. I saw that. I was sort of reading the article about it, but I haven't looked Holy at the documents. Holy crap. Zarin mentioning the Star Child Skull classic, classic story. Uh, Area 51, uh, uh, having Bear. a private pilot fly over <laughs> yeah. Area 51. Oh, God. Oh, God. They're shooting. I can see an elevator. <laughs> and then it's just like, and art. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if what you heard is correct. All I can tell you is 20 minutes ago, I received a fax that said, my brother-in-law has been trying to call you on the wild card line. <laughs> you need to pick it up. He's flying his plane over Area 51. Spooky stuff. Yeah. Spooky stuff. And that's just it. There was no judgment. No, this guy's full of bullshit. It's just, here's the story. And do with it what you will. Um, I, 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 I'm saddened by the fact that, um, you know, I think we've we've probably talked about this on here before i know we've talked about it personally about when he made his very brief comeback to the airwaves and peaced out because he was convinced somebody was following him i don't know i don't know what the what the truth is behind that but um i was sad because i was in we weren't running coast at the time but we were going to at least be running art bell and i thought oh, well, i was that's... sitting at a red a, another radio network listening to him yeah and I thought that was pretty cool. And then a week later or whatever, he pulls the plug on it. Um, it was mainly because people couldn't stream the show. Like, it was, since it was Sirius XM, the concept of being able to just listen to the show without having a, you know, a subscription. And, of course, yeah. the reason Sirius XM has you there is so that people will subscribe. Right. And, that, I mean, that was the whole thing. The people would take it, put it on YouTube. And SiriusXM was like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's yeah, intellectual property is ours. And, and that was the frustration over that. And that's, that's unfortunate. I understand both sides to that, honestly. Yeah. But he being able to start his own. I mean, he could have done what we do. Oh, yeah. Easily. And basically did, I guess, with the Midnight in the Desert thing. It's not that hard. And he's just, he's a champ, man. A true pioneer of his craft. Yeah. Moment of silence for Capenzi and Art because they join each other finally. I don't, I, I don't also, I don't want to sound snobby, but the whole idea of, you know, the, you're going to hear a lot of the wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Art. The fact that I got paid to do it is what's amazing. Meager, meager at the time, <laughs> but still. Still. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad to hear that. And, uh, We'll keep going on. <laughs> In his stead. We will time travel.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.